know what they're talking about, and they're unwilling to bend because they know. Amongst the Gentiles who have been learning the scriptures, and there's an attitude of learning and teachability, they approach it and they say, you know what? I can, I can weigh this and I can see this is what the text says. And that teachability plays in here. And so there's a bunch of, like, these people that convert. So a few Jewish people, a lot of God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. Um, we'll go on from there. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. I love that phrase. The phrase actually, like there are other places where it's translated, they gathered up the rabble. Um, rabble sounds more fun than bad character. Um, what this is, is in any city you would have a marketplace, and there were a bunch of guys who didn't have jobs who would hang out in the marketplace all day, Right? And they had nothing to do, and they generally were up to no good, right? And so the Jewish people went to the rabble. They went to the bad guys. They got them together and said, hey, guys, want to have some fun? Or, hey, want to earn a buck? Hey, want to earn a dollar? It's Mark Potter's phrase, uh, and I hope he's listening so he caught it. Um, they, they got these guys together, and they got them going to form a mob and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Jason may be, may be, turns up again in the book of Romans. Just an interesting little thing. He may be mentioned a second time. We don't know. But this Jason guy, apparently folks sort of knew who he was. Um, they went to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. Out to the crowd. So they were going to lynch them. Um, they went to Jason's house. And, um, but they did not find them. They dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they've come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. So here's some problems. Are the men who are on trial, or who are causing the problem there? No. Right? We all agree on that? Like, if I say, you know, oh, Sarah has been causing problems all over town, but I couldn't find her, so I brought John for trial. Nobody's going to take that seriously, right? Not, not really. Um, first off, because it's Sarah, and like, she doesn't cause problems. Uh, but secondly, because you can't try somebody who didn't do anything in lieu of someone else. But they're making a crazy false accusation because they couldn't find the guys they were after. And so he welcomed into their house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one who is called Jesus. So they're like, hey, they're rebellion. It's rebellion. It's an insurrection. These guys are creating problems, and they're saying there's another king who isn't Caesar. Oh, my gosh. This is a really, really specific way of reading what they're saying, and it's mostly nonsense, right? Like, this is a straight-up, like, bad accusation. It's absurd. Anybody watching this is going to say, yeah, you guys are a joke. What are you doing, right? Um, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Why? Because they hadn't done anything. You couldn't hold them on something they didn't do. And so they let them go. 
As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Berea is about 40 miles away. Okay, so they go to this other city, and I read, I was not able to confirm this with a second source, but that Berea was kind of the center of Jewish activity in the region, is what I read. I cannot confirm that. I do not know that it's definitely true, but it is a heavily Jewish city. So they get chased out. This is becoming a recurring theme. We've seen it over and over again. Paul and Silas went away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. It is the same thing every time. It was their habit. Now, and here's why I'm doing both cities together. Now, the Berean Jews were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. There's some interesting variants here, right? First off, Luke is pairing the two cities, and he's comparing them. He's saying, listen, unlike Eric, Daniel, unlike Goofus, Gallant, right? So we have, a, we have a contrast built into the text that I think Luke did on purpose. And I think that the principles behind this are going to be best found by looking at by looking at the comparison. And so we'll get to Goofus and Gallant at the end. Um, you know, you put them next to each other and you know, like you can see. Noble character, by the way. Noble character is a phrase used to describe in ancient Greece, like this word that's used here, it's used to describe people who are wealthy, people who are well-educated, people who are careful in their consideration of things, people who are honest and display virtue that is common amongst the culture. It is a big Phrase almost like saying gentleman or gentry. Is gentry a word? Like that's a, that works, right? I, it, is, it is saying a very big and strong thing that has a heavy implication, but the community probably wasn't rich. And actually, there's a good argument to be made that noble character in terms of its traditional use does not apply to these guys. What does apply to them is that inside they displayed qualities we did not see in Thessalonica. They displayed like an attitude and an approach to the world that was different. So they received the message and in great eagerness they examined the scriptures. How often? Every day. Not for three Sabbaths, which is interesting. Right? They said, this is an interesting idea. Let's pull out our texts. Let's look. Let's research. Let's weigh. And let's figure out what's what. Huh. As a result, now here's another interesting little bit. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So a lot of Jewish people came to believe, along with these Greek women and... Greek men, not mentioned elsewhere, is it? Like, not mentioned over there, like it's, it's specifically identified this way. And I think there's a reason for that. I think, which we'll get to in a minute. I don't want to get sidetracked. That's goofus and gallant stuff. But 
when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Who are they agitating? The crowds. What could we maybe guess? <gasps> it's the rabble, right? <laughs> they're going to the same crowd of people and they're like, hey, want to earn a dollar? Because it worked last time. And they, like, they do it again. By the way, this should sound familiar because it happened on Paul's first missionary journey where a group of folks followed them from city to city to city doing the exact same thing. And it kept basically chased them out of the area. Um, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Now, Athens is a whole other fun conversation, but Paul left because he's the target, and Silas and Timothy stayed, and they educated the church, and they trained them, and they worked with them because these were people who wanted to learn stuff. Um, I will tell you, as a guy who, uh, who's been working in church forever and ever and ever, nothing is harder than to stand in front of a class or a group of people who are indifferent and preach a sermon or teach something but like nothing is more exciting than talking to people who are like i just want to know what this is right and they're like man these guys want it we are leaving teachers we're leaving our helpers behind and paul goes by himself to athens and has fun there i think (laughs) sorry i'm not sick so Goofus and Gallant, noble spirit, right? What can we learn here? What are the principles behind it? First off, everybody noticed this, right? Spent three Sabbaths discussing, search the scripture daily. There was one group of guys who said, yeah, we'll do that, but that's on that day. We'll do it when it's time to do that. It is not important enough to bring with us. We will debate it with you. We will argue with you. But that's it. Whereas these other guys are like, no, if this is true, it's a big deal. We need to sit down and do this, right? Um, There's a part of me that knows I'm about 20 pounds overweight right now, and I blame COVID. Uh, It's the COVID-19. There's a part of me that knows if I carry this 20 pounds for the next 10 years, I'm going to have plaque in my arteries and it's going to work out badly for me. There's another part of me that likes ice cream. And likes ice cream enough that I am unwilling to spend every day studying at the process of not dying of heart disease in my 50s. Right? There is the flesh and there is the spirit. There is my noble character and there is the majority of me that wants to do what I want to do. Um, The attitude they approach this with is the flesh amongst the goofus. And... Let's look at the scriptures. Let's weigh this. Let's understand this. Let us invest in this and grow and consume it because if this is true, it is big. That is two very distinct attitudes. There's the, I know what I know and I don't need to know anymore. And there is the, I know a lot, but I need to know more. The converts we encounter in the two is another spot, right? We see a few Jewish people, many of the God-fearers, and then prominent Greek women in the community, but not their husbands. Huh. Whereas many Jews, God-fearers, by the way, I am preaching from the CEV, 
And my text, as I presented it, I think is another translation. Um, in the CEV, it is listed as many Jews, God-fearers, and prominent women and men is, is actually the way that the CEV reads. And what I am suggesting is that these Jewish men, the majority of them did not side, did not take ownership of the gospel. They said, this is contrary to what we know here. And because these men did not step up, I think contrasting that, the men in the community said, well, these guys don't care that much. Maybe I shouldn't care either. And I think there's a truth in this. You know, like if we look at Berea, where the men all kind of, like the whole community kind of bought in, and it was a whole community effort. And then all of a sudden the community around them that were not the Jewish people were like, hey, this is a big deal because everybody's doing it. Why does this matter? Because um, the average Christian in America, like if you were to average us out and pick the demographics, is a 65-year-old white woman. And I think people look at the church and they say, yeah, they talk about this Jesus guy. They talk about these good things, but the men don't believe it. Am I wrong? They think, yeah, I don't know. The guys I know that are Christians or claim to be Christians or are associated one place or another, they ain't people I want to be like. Why do I say that? I'm not saying it to shame you. I'm saying it because I think that God has given men a unique responsibility in relation to our families and our churches. Um, Our sons imitate us, and our daughters will marry us. Right? And I think that is an indication that there is a special position for us in the family and in the culture. And if our sons see us blowing it off, if our sons see us saying, don't lie before we lie, Drunkenness is wicked before we get drunk. We have a problem because our sons read us better than we do. And our neighbors, man, they see the log in our eyes but well before we do, right? We are Christ's representatives. And I think these people took this seriously. They consumed it. They were passionate about it. And it infected the people around them. And I think that's why we see women and men listed in Berea, but not in Thessalonica. That is the word. Um, so, Goofus stays home and watches football. Goofus sleeps late. Eric eats ice cream for breakfast. Daniel has healthy stuff. Daniel starts his day with the word of God. I'm sorry, Daniel. Are you uncomfortable with me picking on you? Um, so, Amongst the Thessalonians, their response is dictated by their emotion. And I, by the way, want to emphasize this. To respond based on emotion is to pick the least amount of fuel in your tank to drive on. If you follow Jesus because you are energized today rather than because you've decided this is what's important and so this is what I'm going to do, right, you will see it. It will come out in the wash. It will be obvious. Guys I know who get energized about their faith and there is no substance and there is no priority and there is no investment run out of gas. If you want to see a different version of this, I will talk about my marriage for a moment. In my marriage, when I first got married, I was excited. I was a 22-year-old man. Uh, I was getting married and it opened a whole new 
realm of life for me and activities and stuff like that. And it was exciting and it was fun. And then about six months in when the reality of all the work I had to do set in, I was a lot less excited. And driven by my emotion and everything else, I began to run out of gas and all the weird, crazy stuff I did when we were dating, like writing her love letters, holding the door for her. It wasn't until I got older and realized the calling that I had as a believing husband to be Christ to my wife, to love my wife like Christ loves the church, that I realized my wife and my daughter and my son see Jesus in me. And so my priority is to serve my family the way Christ serves the church, in humility, in love, in sacrifice, in like actual sweat equity, not just in words. All of that stuff came about, and it became a lot easier to write my wife love letters. It became a lot easier to take my wife out on dates because I knew that by doing that, I was demonstrating to my daughter, the kind of man I want to marry is going to look at me this way. I realized that yelling at my wife in front of my kids is a mistake because they're just going to see Jesus in that. Except it's not real Jesus, it's Eric Jesus, right? Oof, scary. My behavior is more and more, and I fail at it a lot. That's why I'm goofus and Daniel is gallant. Um, My behavior should be dictated by my dedication to Christ, not by my emotional response. And so when I wake up in the morning, I love this about farmers. I love that farmers wake up in the morning and they feel sick and they have a headache and they're tired and they don't want to do it. And then they get out of bed and what do they do? They go out and they do their job because the farm isn't going to, like, the farm is still going to be there. we got to do this stuff, right? i got to get up and drive the tractor. i got to get up and deal with the cows. i got to get up and do these things because that is the principle I am obeying. If it is not the principle I am obeying and I'm doing it based on feeling, I will sleep through it and let the cows be hungry. Stupid cows didn't do anything for me in the first place. Finally, Uh, so like the emotional component, if you live your life, if you live your faith based on emotion, you will run out of gas. If you set priorities and standards and things that are, this is what I believe, this is what I will do. When the time comes, you encounter something, you will read the scriptures and say, this doesn't look good. When that really popular book shows up and you pick it up and you read it and you're like, yeah, the gospel isn't in this. That'll be the response instead of this makes me feel good. I'm going to go with this. I'm not talking about anyone in particular out there in the world, but there's a lot of it. Um, and so, like, like that emotional thing, it's good, it's important, but principle is more important. Following Christ, being dedicated to Christ, pursuing Christ, Christ as Lord and boss and king over our lives is more important. And so if Christ says, this is what's important, I'll search the scriptures so I know about it. If I encounter something about Christ I didn't understand before, I'm going to back up and I'm going to say, well, let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. Right? Um, And finally, lastly, there's a hypocrisy that we see in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians would not, like these Thessalonian Jews, would not associate with the rabble. These are guys who would not have the rabble over for dinner. They would not invite them to synagogue. They would not hang out with them. They would not associate with them. But... In order to get my way, I'm going to do something unclean and wicked. And it's hypocritical. 
we can give and compromise and everything else if we're operating outside of Christ in our lives. And that is what this noble spirit is. The noble spirit is not something in me or of me. That noble spirit is the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, my gosh, I didn't just do that. I'm sorry. I, I did a weird voice variant there, and that was not who I want to be. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drives my decisions because the Holy Spirit says, Follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, hey, what does this look like in terms of who I am in Christ? If I died to the old Eric, is this old Eric or is this Christ? The Holy Spirit says, I know that you have screwed up. I know you are ashamed. You can say it publicly. You can confess it to your brothers. And in Christ, you are still forgiven. Whereas the Bereans responded true to their convictions. They responded in a way... That when, like, the rabble began to move, these guys acted in harmony with their faith, with what the Jewish people were called to do, with hospitality, which is a whole other conversation. But, like, it's a deep component of this whole conversation. Like, the hospitality element means you take care of people. You watch out for folks who are in your care. Like, they did what they believed in. And so that is my goofus and gallant. That is the principle behind this. The Holy Spirit, when he is active in us, when Christ is living in us, we don't search the scripture on Sabbath. We do it every day because it's important. We consume it. We eat it because it becomes the thing that drives us. It's a reminder of our job. I, uh, I was talking with uh, um, Callan this morning about weather. And we were talking about how you can tell that it's a different season. And he's got all these little tricks, right? Like, oh, there are bugs. It's going to get warm. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, you know. And I look out and I'm like, it's snowing. It's going to be cold forever. (laughs) Actually, no, let me rephrase that. It's snowing and it's Montana. It is never going to be warm again. And he's like, no, the warm weather's coming up. Here's why. And he gives me a whole list. And it's like, oh, wow, you've thought about this. And I haven't. You know why? Because I don't spend any time thinking about the weather except when it annoys me. Except on Sabbath, except on Sunday, when i got to get up and do this, and I think, is the snow going to keep people home? What's this going to do to our, in- our attendance? What's this? What's that? What's this? I, I don't think about it. Kellen studies the weather. The Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, drives us to look at the scriptures, look at our lives, look at the people around us, look at our behaviors and our decisions and our responses and our emotional stuff and everything else in terms of Christ. In terms of what really matters. That is the difference between Goofus and Gallant. Goofus, or Gallant isn't Gallant because he's awesome. Gallant is Gallant because he's Jesus. He just looks like Daniel or Jeremy or whoever else happens to look like Jesus today. So what's our application? Listen, as God's redeemed people, number one, first and foremost, that noble spirit, right, is Christ in us. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have died to your old sinful self, if you are buried in the waters of baptism and risen again to a new man or woman, Christ is the determiner of everything. To grow to be like Christ, not to obey the law, not to be no compromise, I'm angry, not this matches my politics or my preference or anything else. What would Christ have me do? Who would he have me be? That is the noble spirit. And so understanding and application, if this is, like if we want to be gallant and not goofus, we got to be Christ. 
uh, there's a passage. I'm using it on purpose uh, because as I was researching this sermon, somebody else quoted it. And I started looking at it and I said, oh, wow, this is awesome. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now watch this. This is one of those psalms that is so easy to take a little bit of out of context the way I want to use it. Like one example of that is your children are like arrows in your quiver. There was a movement for a number of years where people would say, I need to have like 40 kids because that's what this text says. It's a blessing from the Lord for me to have 40 kids. First off, more power to you. That's a lot of kids, right? But secondly, I will take growing to be like Christ 10 times over before I will say, if I have 12 kids, it means Jesus loves me. Or God has blessed me. Because growing to be Christ-like is all that matters. Well, then how do we apply this? Well, I'll tell you. If I live my life, if I build my life, if I build my family, if I build my church according to my interpretation of this text, I'm wasting my time and I will create chaos. If I do it according to the Lord's will, according to Christ in me, if I build my life according to Christ, if I wake up in the morning and I talk to God, which is hard. You know why? Because kids are loud. And the only way you can get up in the morning and talk to God is get up really early. And that's awful because it means you have to go to bed at night, which is the only time you get to spend with your wife when your kids go to bed. Like, it's a big mess, but like getting up early and spending time in Christ and saying, God, this is what my day is going to look like. Here's where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. And like, what's your will for me? Or bless me in this or turn me this way or that way or whatever. Here are my plans. Does this fit your will? Like, all of it is building your life day to day, hour to hour, minute by minute. Like, this is all it. Like, I need to pursue Christ and grow to be like him and be in conversation with him and in relationship with him and constantly break out the measure of the scriptures and say, does it fit or does it look right to me? Right? Every day. All the time. You know why? Because I am wicked. I'm not talking about you guys, but if you're goofus too, just own it. I will do the wrong thing every time by my own strength. It is Christ in me that changes me and enables me to be righteous, enables me to be Daniel or Gallant or whoever. Jesus, right? Children are heritage to the Lord. What does that have to do with anything? I will tell you that the more I act like Christ, the more I see my kids acting like Christ. It is weird. The more I act like Christ, the more I see the people around me take on those qualities and get hungry to act like Christ. Paul called Timothy son, even though Paul was single. 
even though Paul dedicated himself to living alone. And Paul said, you are my spiritual children over and over again. To some degree, this is talking about a very specific time and place in Jewish history. But if we're going to incorporate it into our lives, I'm going to tell you, this is about living, growing, and being Jesus. And so my question for you is, and like, well, then beyond that, creating new people who will walk into eternity, our spiritual children saved and glorified rather than facing God's judgment for their sin, which I deserve more than anyone else. But Christ in me makes it otherwise. And so my question is, like looking at Psalm 27, who's building your house? Do you begin your morning laying the foundation and mixing the mortar of following Christ daily? Do you show up to church on Sunday morning looking for Christ with the attitude of I need to grow and consume Christ and worship the Lord and everything else? Like I need to do this stuff to be like Jesus because this is my lifeline. Or is this a box we check? By the way, you are not always going to be excited. Right? I'm going to tell you, I was not excited when I got up this morning. I was angry, actually, unrelated to this. And I spent a big chunk of my morning being angry, and I realized this anger is not a good thing. I need to be, I need to calm down. And so I spent some time praying, and I spent some time reading. And then I talked to two or three other guys who were less dumb than me, who were more gallant, and those guys brought me into a new place, and it was wonderful. Um, The question is, are you laying the foundations? Is God building Christ in you every day? all the time were you building and finally like in comparing the two which do you more resemble in your responses are you like this guy who's noble the holy spirit is in you are you making emotional and personal preference decisions are you encountering decisions in life and saying well listen i need to pray about this and look at what the scriptures have to say or are you saying this is my preference are you attributing your desires and your politics and your passions to christ Or is Christ dictating what those things are? Because it is really easy to say, it is God's will that my guys win. It is God's will that the Cubs win the World Series every year. I don't even like baseball, but um, of course it's not God's will. Otherwise it would happen. But sometimes we look and say, well, my team is Christ's team, not I want to be on Christ's team. And so my question is, like, where are you at? Are you noble? Is the Holy Spirit infecting you? Are you growing Christ-like daily? And if you are not, my challenge to you would be to figure it out. Not on your own. Because you will not figure it out on your own. Because figuring it out on your own is just laying the foundation yourself again. It is to dig into the Word and consume it. It is to pray. It is to find more mature believers and develop relationships with them. I have discovered I like talking to John because John is so much slower at figuring things out than I am. Not in a dumb way, in a careful way. In a considerate way. And that's a blessing because I talk too much. No amen? particularly on Sunday mornings, but mostly all the time. And John will sit silent and consider until he says what he's going to say. But usually what he says is wise. Teddy Roosevelt once said that uh, people thought he was a great shot. 
And he said, I'm half blind and I'm a terrible shot, but if you pull the trigger enough times, eventually you're going to hit what you're aiming at. John is a guy who aims. Jeremy is often a guy who aims, and I appreciate that about him. There are a few others of you in the room. I like Kellen because Kellen is considerate and careful and applies standards when he thinks about things, and I like that. That is what Christ calls us to. And I'm blessed to be surrounded by guys like that. And I'm going to say, look at you. If you are not surrounded by these guys like Daniel who asks brilliant questions and teaches Bible study better than I would do it, like if you're not surrounded by these guys, find them. Call them. There are new directories in the back, right, Rebecca? Pick one up on the way out and call three or four guys if you've got no one like that around you because you need it. If you're looking at yourself and you're a young lady and you're like, well, he's not picking on me, the scriptures actually tell us that older women should teach younger women and guide them in how they should go. If you look at your life and you say, there is no wise older woman investing in me, ask yourself, what am I going to do with that? Is that what I want? Am I building my own house? Am I, am I gallant today? Or am I goofus? Am I Christ? Or am I Eric? I must decrease that he might increase, right? Let's close in prayer because I don't want to keep going. I'll just keep talking forever and it's way too long already. Uh, and I did say that because I talk too much. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would convict us to be, to be like Jesus. Lord God, there are so many things that seem right in our own eyes that look right to me. I pray that we would become a people that would break out the measure, the ruler, the tape measure, the stick of Christ and set it next to everything that matters, the stick of Scripture and figure out what matters. Make us Christ-like, not because we feel shame, but because you love us, because you call us to be close to you. Lord God, I, I praise you for being the God who loves us like that. I praise you for being the God who works despite the fact that I'm more goofus than anything else. Heavenly Father, I pray that the seeds planted, the, the moments of your spirit moving, that I wouldn't have stepped on them today and that our own preferences and irritation and hunger and everything else isn't getting in the way, but that Christ's spirit would reign. Amen. Have a good Sunday, guys. If you are interested in learning covenant stuff in advance of Easter, come and talk to